Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Fundraising Elevator, where we are going to talk about the state of fundraising events with the fundraising event expert, our very own Samantha Swaim. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be in the guest chair. Thanks for being here. Well, I'm glad you're saying that now. We'll see how you feel <laughs> how you feel after. Um, but we wanted to talk about the state of fundraising events because, one, let's just acknowledge that events are not the easiest way to raise money. No, they're they're not. But they have an amazing opportunity to coalesce people around your mission they and do. to activate activate people around your mission. Yeah. Um, and then the elephant in the room is that a lot of things have changed in the last three years around fundraising events. We went from having them to not having them. We learned a lot. And now we're back to having them again. And we want to have a conversation about how having them now can utilize what we've learned and make them even better. Great. I'm in. Let's do it. Done. Let's officially introduce you. Okay. Let's introduce me. Samantha Swaim has more than 20 years of event planning and fundraising expertise. She is my fellow co-founder and co-conspirator at Swaim Strategies, a fundraising event consultancy working with nonprofit organizations to produce impactful events that move missions forward. Samantha is also the co-author of Planning a Successful Major Donor Event and the founder of the annual Elevate Fundraising Event Conference. She is passionate about helping nonprofit professionals discover the tools they need to elevate their impact through events. Thanks for being here in the hot seat. Thanks for having me. I'm kind of excited. I can't wait to hear what you're going to ask. Opening question. Opening question. Okay. What power do events hold? Wow. Well, I think we're learning now more than ever the importance of gathering. You know, I think that uh, for a long time, many professionals in the fundraising sector would say, get rid of your events. They're very labor intensive. They're a really big use of your resources. They're very expensive to produce. And, you know, we started this work 20 years ago because we saw that if folks weren't really leveraging the moment of gathering, it wasn't having the impact necessary to make the benefit there, right? The fundraising dollars need to be there. The impact of mission needs to be there. So we do this work because we really want to make sure that those pieces come together. But now, after, you know, pandemic times and after people have just changed their um, social behaviors a lot, we're seeing that the tapering of giving has really been impacted by not being in space together. And as folks have continued to bring people back together, as folks are gathering again, that engagement is going up. And I think that that speaks a lot to a couple of core principles we've known to be true, but now it's just so glaringly obvious. So the first, I think, is Susan Howlett's work uh, out of University of Washington researching why people give. And that idea that people give because mission, they believe in the mission and they want to make impact, but also because they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And they want to be recognized for that giving. And those three motivators are huge and they're they're weighed pretty equally among donors, and we're able to do that in a in an event in a way that we're not able to do in other forms. And so as folks have started to come back together, we're seeing that be sort of more evident, more clear. We're seeing surprise gifts at high levels. We're seeing people leave there feeling the value of connection of people. We're seeing that the, the sort of mission is sitting with people in a more important way. And so I think we're understanding the power of gathering more now than ever before. But the other element of that, too, is that we're understanding that every single belief system, every single social justice movement is rooted in gathering. And it's because of those things. It's because of the fact that we get to actually create kind of a shared common language together and connect to other people and build community and I mean, we can dive into the neuroscience of community and connection, but, you know, the um, 
importance of being connected to other people who have similar beliefs can help grow your mission faster than you kind of yelling into the void of the media world trying to get attention around your mission. Bringing people into a room, connecting them together will spread your mission faster. So there's a lot of benefit, I think, and we're seeing that events have changed, but the power of why do an event is more evident now. You just have to do it in a way that's really impacting the things you want it to impact and achieving your purposes. I want to hone in on that way okay. in just a, in just a couple minutes because I think um, we probably have a lot of lean in right now. Like, yes, I want my event to do those things. And then there's sort of the like, there's the theoretical, like these are the goals, this is what we want to have and activate. And then there's the practical of like, how do we do that with right. our executive director talking the way they talk on stage, right? <laughs> so I want to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to sort of pan out, and I don't mean this in a sort of silly or tone deaf way, but for you right now, having lived through the last three years, we've just lived through knowing sort of how we're redefining what gathering means to us as a human species. Yeah. How would you define a fundraising event now? Oh, interesting. Um, well, I think ultimately it is gathering people around your mission, sharing your story in a way that engages them to invest deeper in your mission and asking them to give. I think that's a critical piece about events is that oftentimes you don't see the benefit because you're not actually giving a call to action to your audience. You know, for years we've heard fundraising or friend raising event, and there's a strategy there to be considered. But um, if you're not asking for support or you're not asking for action or you're not asking for folks to do something in the moment, oftentimes the value that your audience receives out of the event is less because they don't feel like they were giving given an opportunity to be involved. They were told this is what we're doing. It's magic. We're doing incredible <laughs> things. And it is magic. It is. And, and also. no doubt incredible work is happening. But if they're not pulling the audience in and asking the audience to engage in a particular way, then we see that the satisfaction level is lower. We see the guests feel like their time wasn't well spent. And so for me, a fundraising event is something that shares your story, connects to your donors, brings people in, but has a specific call to action. And that call to action around giving, engaging, giving them the opportunity to do it in the moment is by far how you're going to see a gathering of any kind best impact your organization. I think that idea of we're going to use this to introduce ourselves and follow up later, um, that lends to a lot of work on the back end and a lot of guests curious, well, how come I wasn't given an opportunity right. now? So fundraising event is gathering where people are asked to support. And I think, um, you know, it's funny. We know a lot of folks in nonprofit fundraising where being in relationship and asking for money is the thing they want to do least, right? right? We're looking yeah. for sort of that silver bullet to get away from that. And yet that's at the core of how people engage. Yeah. I and mean, there's no like easy button in fundraising, no. right? It's all relationship. The easy button is if you're good with relationship, that's the easy yeah. button. Yeah. So um, I know one of your biggest superpowers in the world is is the strategy piece, right? Oh. The fundraising strategy mm. piece. And so I'm wondering that's if you can place. speak to, um, there really is, there is a, a reason for our nonprofit development friends to understand that events are part of both their cultivation cycle and their fundraising docket, right? Yeah. Um, they can't be the only thing. Right. And they shouldn't be... Everything. Everything. Right. But they also shouldn't be next to nothing if you're going to do it in terms yeah. of energy and all of those pieces. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, sort of strategically how people should be using events as a channel different from their other pieces like sure. direct mail and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the thing that's unique about events is it's an invitation in and it's an invitation to be a part of something. So different than an invitation to give, a direct mail piece is a solicitation the opportunity to come to an event and be a guest at an event and be hosted and be recognized and be seen and be celebrated is a very different way to engage with a nonprofit than a direct mail piece or a campaign that's happening or an online campaign. 
And, you know, I think being invited in looks different now. A lot of folks are doing content that is web-based, is Zoom-based, is live-streamed, is online, is hybrid, is in-person. There's so many different ways we gather. But the difference, I think, in the type of fundraising modality is that it is actually an opportunity for the individual to physically be a part of the work that you're doing. It has the same benefit, actually, of volunteering with an organization. And I think we've lost a lot of that during COVID. We lost the, you know, sort of big, robust volunteer programs. But often the volunteer sees the impact of the work, is connected to the impact of the work. They're invested in the work in a really different way. And an event is an opportunity to bring people in to do the same, is to feel connected, is to physically connect to people that are you know, believe in the same things that are passionate about the same things. So I think that um, right now the shift that we're seeing is that the new strategy layer is how are we gathering people? So Mm. it's not just the strategic layer of where does an event fit within our annual cycle. But to address that, I think that there are lots of different types of fundraising and they meet different people's needs. I think, you know, direct mail campaign is going to reach a different type of audience than like an online auction, which is very transactional in nature versus a campaign that might be kind of a urgent call to to action with a short timeline. It might be an online give now to support this thing because it's an emergency. You know, each of those sort of fits a different need. And emergency giving is often sort of activated when there's something that's a call to action around people wanting to know what can I do right now in this moment. Right. Where the annual event, I think, you know, there's a different model of event to serve every need you have. Right. So if you're looking to acquire new donors, you're looking for an acquisition event. If you're looking to build the relationships with your major donors, you're looking for a major donor event or a signature event model, more social in nature. If you're looking to develop your planned gift campaign or your giving circles, a you know major donor event or a legacy event, different models serve different needs. And so I think that as you're planning your calendar year and as you're thinking about where an event fits into your strategy, you need to be thinking about where is your team going to be pulled the most. If they're in the middle of running a campaign that's uh, timely with an end date, they're kicking off a capital campaign and moving from the silent phase to the public phase, they're ending the year with their end-of-year giving campaign and direct mail and hosting their gala, your team is going to be stretched too many different ways. So I think the best strategy is to figure out how does an event fit into your calendar cycle and then also figure out what is the model of event that's going to best serve your needs so that strategically you're overlaying it with your overall plan. And it's not just a one-off that you're kind of thinking about a month before. It's something you're thinking about a year ahead That way you have your venue and your date lined up. You know for certain you can work it into your team's work plans. And also you can get ahead of your sponsors and make sure that they're committed, they're available, and they're invested in the event in a timely fashion that allows them to work within their budgets. You just said a lot of things I want to hone in. No, (laughs) but I want to hone in on a few. Um, I also want to acknowledge for for some of our listeners out there that you may have just um, started hyperventilating a little. Oh, sure. (laughs) And may have just gotten really overwhelmed. So let's just name it. An event can take 400 staff hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the average. Right. So we don't say lightly take on an event or add an event. Right. Nor do we say lightly subtract an event because while you might get some of those 400 hours back, you've just lost that opportunity, right? right? So can you talk a little bit about, you walked briefly through sort of the event models. What are some of the criteria I should be thinking about if I'm like, I've been told I have to do an event, but I actually don't know what kind of event I should be throwing. And I don't know what kind of event, I don't know how to define what we've been doing. Sort of what should I be looking at to understand how to match my opportunity to the style of event that I I should be holding? I think that's a hard question for a lot of organizations to answer. Um, I think one of the issues that we see in the nonprofit sector is oftentimes a game of comparisons. We see that board members, donors, staff members will go to another organization's event, and the strategy is so hidden. It's so sort of 
behind all the fun and the festivities that it's hard to understand how an organization was impacted and how they reached their goals. So I think it's important as you're evaluating your event that you're thinking first about what are the needs and what's the purpose? What are we hoping to achieve by gathering these people together? I think we miss that. I think we specifically say it's a fundraising event. Well, that's like a category of an event. That's like, okay, we understand that there's going to be fundraising here. And I understand I'm coming to an event where I'm going to be asked to give. But a fundraising event can look a million different ways. You know, spending the day on the golf course can be very different than going to the Met Gala, right? And so fundraising events can look a million different ways. And so the second approach is not just thinking about um, the purpose, but then also thinking about who is my audience? Who are we going to be engaging in this event? So if the goal is to engage a major donor base that we already have and to invest our major donors in our work further, then we understand that this is going to be a major donor event. We're using a major donor model. If we don't have any donors, we're a brand new grassroots organization. And we're like, where do we even start? Where does this work begin? Then you're looking at an acquisition event and an acquisition model. So I think you have to understand first step one, um, you know, what is the purpose we're designing for? And then step two, what is the audience and who's going to be in this room? I think deciding and designing for who is in the room is probably one of the most underrated but most impactful elements of planning. And we've seen organizations, in fact, we just worked with a small organization, very tiny, very new organization, first time holding a fundraising event ever. They had big goals and big dreams. Mm -hmm. And as we started to identify who their audience was, we identified that they had an audience of about maybe 80 people. Like that was their kind of target of folks who had been supportive, folks that were connected to the board, relationships of the board. That's you know, eight phone calls to table hosts asking them to host a table. (laughs) But they also had a whole um, sort of student-based audience that would not maybe attend a gala and maybe not give in a big way, but they identified this is going to be a very small, intimate event. They branded it as such. They created this incredibly unique experience, but the experience was rich in performances and speakers and content that was really compelling. And they filmed all of that content and then had that streamed out to an audience that would probably not have ever attended a gala event. And by making really smart decisions about what the purpose was and who was in the room, they were able to make some very smart choices about how they created like a curated custom experience for that audience. They raised three times more money than they thought they were going to raise because it was this very special night. Um, Whereas if they had tried to get 400 people in a ballroom, it probably wouldn't have been as special, as connected, as intimate feeling as the 80-person event. So who and what? (laughs) Yeah, I think you said a couple of critical things I want to just sort of pull forward to in that scaling Mm -hmm. is really critical for an event. And sometimes that scaling is down. Yeah. Often, actually often, the scaling is down, which should be good news for a lot of reasons, right? Because the who of who's in the room can help you overcome some of that Mm -hmm. scaling down in very concrete ways. I mean, you know, we sort of jokingly refer to them as butts and seats, but butts and seats cost money. Right. So if that attendee costing you money isn't the right person in the room and wasn't going to give to you anyway, that's not a good investment on your part of time or energy or resource. So it's sort of that scaling piece. But also I think that scaling has a time element to it. And I think to your point of sort of the well-meaning board member who comes in from the half a million dollar luncheon and says, we should do that when we've only ever raised $65,000 at our breakfast, right? I think we have to think about cultivation of donors takes place over time and, and event growth, success, and solidness, like the solid bedrock of an, of an event can take a while to find over time, yeah. you know? And so adjusting expectations and goals to really not only have goals for this year's event, but be like, I'm going to put this event on a three-year vision board and and sort of set what that looks like using yeah. data from this year to then inform next year. Can you talk a little bit about how folks should be 
benchmarking growth and how, where that yeah. that information should be coming from. Yeah, or how not to, too. Well, I that think that too. one of the challenges often in the sector, especially from like a budget planning perspective, is that we hear folks say, okay, well, we raised 100K last year, so we're going to increase it 10% and raise 110 this year. But my immediate question is, where's the other $10,000 coming from, right? So I think it's important that as you're starting to budget, you're actually developing a roadmap. And that's the first place that I start. So once there's a purpose that's defined and we're thinking very specifically about who is going to help us achieve that purpose, now we can start to design toward what's the roadmap to get there. So our budget process probably looks a little different than what other nonprofits use in their budget process because to us, a budget process is not just the expense side. It's the revenue side, and it's very specifically who our prospects are at that level. So if we're looking at sponsorship as a revenue stream, we're not just hoping to raise 30000 from sponsorship. We're looking at who the prospects are that are going to sponsor us at 5000 2500 and 1000 to get us to that 30000 So we know going in that there's a clear path to our fundraising goal, and we know exactly who we're asking for what. It's a way to save a lot of time and energy because you can do the scattershot, just invite everyone and you know promote your sponsorship to everyone and never quite hit your goal. But if you really focus in your energy and time, the thing we never have enough of, right. focus in your energy and time into those specific solicitations, you can see a lot bigger impact. So I think strategically when we're thinking about our roadmap and our path, we need to start looking at who our prospects are and who might give. You know, if we had Joe giving last year at $1,000, we probably can't expect that he's going to show up and give 50000 this year. So it becomes a, a look and a conversation strategically about how over time are we developing and cultivating a relationship with Joe so that Joe gives 2500 the next year. Yeah. So it's a, a stair step. So I think it's a path that's clearly defined in our budgeting process. And then I also think that it's building and cultivating relationships throughout the year that the, the event is one invite in. And we need to be inviting people in all year long. We need to be sending little notes and thanking them and informing them about what's going on and giving them updates. And I know as a donor that when I am sort of in connection with and in relationship to an organization, I'm likely to give significantly more money to that organization. You know, one of the organizations that historically we've given a lot to is because we've had really good friends working at that organization. Right. And over time, as they've moved on and moved to different jobs, we just haven't been cultivated and haven't been in relationship. And therefore, we just aren't giving in the same way that we used to. So that relationship element, the event is just one moment. It's one relationship. Although I will say you have a lot of touch points in an event that you don't yeah. have through like a direct mail. Yeah. So you get the invitation, you get you attend the event, you get the thank you for the event, that there's certainly a lot of other opportunity that comes with the event. Well, and what I hear you saying, and that sort of we talk to folks a lot about, is magic can happen in that room. Yeah. It absolutely can. Yeah. That's the power of a live room yeah. or a live stream or being in community together and sort of watching each other's stories in front of each other. But also, you should really closely approximate and know what's going to happen in yeah. that room. How the much, how much, how much do you think people should know percentage wise of sort of? Oh. You know, when it's, we when we sort of look at the special appeal, yeah. which is sort of the biggest moment in the room and the sponsorship was sort of the pre-event revenue sort of biggest piece, how much of that should really be mapped out in terms of, yeah, these feel solid, these yeah, feel known? I think you should have a map, 100% mapped yep. out at the beginning. But I think that as your planning goes on, you have to correct and change and adjust yep. based on the answers you get. So you create your specific targets your sponsorship and your ticket sales are both associated with access to the event. Those should be paying for the cost of your event. So you want to make sure that by the time you get to event day, that your cost of having people at the event is covered at least by the admissions, the tables, the sponsorship dollars. But then in addition to that, all the revenue the day of is not a surprise. It is planned and sort of strategically developed over time in that when you ask for money or support at an event, you can blindly go in and say, please give and keep your fingers <laughs> crossed, but that's never where the magic happens. The magic happens when you spend time investing in who are our prospects at each level, how many do we need at each level, and then having some pre-conversations. We call them pre-committed gifts. It's not 
fake money. It's not a shill. It's not reusing or repurposing gifts. It's just a donor conversation in advance, specifically those high-level gifts in which you're targeting, I would say, at least three gifts at the top level so that you're really focused on those one or two top levels having a lot of momentum. Because what that does is it creates sort of a tipping point it allows your donors to see that this is a trusted organization that people are giving to, and it creates a sense of trust and connection. If you open up the solicitation with any paddles in the air and no one gives, that energy is lost, the trust is lost, and you lose a lot more than just the top-level gift. So I think it's knowing in advance that you have a clear plan, you know exactly what your goals are, and developing a strategy setting up those pre-committed gifts for those early sort of big dollar adopters coming in right at the top, that sort of sets up the confidence for your audience to then surprise you. Right, because they want to be a part of something successful. Yeah. Um, So we would be really remiss in sort of talking big picture about the state of fundraising events and not talking about sort of the nonprofit sector and fundraising events participation in sort of white supremacist culture. Yeah. uh, Historically. And this concept of the haves yeah, uh, sort of publicly and tax tax free, or you know, tax credit wise, sort of taking care of the have nots as that like you know pat on the back and directing behavior. It's been used in really sinister ways and yeah. and that sort of thing. And so, in breaking with that and in really sort of trying to take a new lens and looking at the potential and what that is, what is that for fundraising events? What does that look like now? Yeah, I think it's evolved very quickly. I think it's been a conversation that has been occurring over the past decade um, around community-centric fundraising, which is valuing people's time, energy, and resources. So it's not... It's looking at what skills they bring to the table. It's looking at their volunteer time. It's looking at their dollars so that you're really valuing your entire community that supports your effort and your mission and not just only valuing your highest donors. I think there's a real danger in only having value for your highest donors, in which you never invite anyone else into your work. And over time, if you lose those high-end donors, you also lose stability. But those high-end donors start to inform how you as an organization operate. Instead of operating for the work, for the mission, for the need and serving the need, you're making choices to serve that high-end donor. And it creates this environment where organizations have swung to a place where they're no longer actually meeting the need yeah. of the mission because they're trying to serve the need the need of the donor. So community fundraising or community centric fundraising has been sort of in the conversation for about a decade. And as an event based organization, we are constantly up against that, trying to figure out how do we break down these walls and then. COVID forced us into this like tiny little box of limitation that we had to get really innovative and figure out what the possibility was. And that possibility existed in going online and building community and gathering community in an online format. And all of a sudden it opened up the doors that this can be a low cost, easy to access way to gather people. And so we went virtual, and then we went into a hybrid format. And that hybrid format is what we're seeing as the, like, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow now, where we're able to see organizations have incredible, beautiful events that engage the people who are able to be in the ballroom, who are comfortable to be in the ballroom, who are in town at the day of your event, And also broadcast out to a bigger audience where you can have people tuning in from anywhere in the world. You can have much bigger reach. You can include your entire staff, all your volunteers, your entire community that supports you. And all of a sudden, that community-centric potential is bigger. So I think that hybrid events is a way that we can create some access points. But I also think you can design intentionally around where do we include and where do we exclude for the benefit of making sure that the right people are supporting and serving the work and being valued for that work. And so we have a lot of organizations right now that are looking at how do we decolonize events? How do we declass events? And a lot of that is really understanding where you create access, how to create access in a way that's inclusive, not in a way that's Oh, I'm sorry. We you can't afford to be here, but in a way that is really thoughtful about food choices, access, mobility, bringing people into an event space and the ideas and the work that's being done right now around events 
has become accessible because of the fact that we can use some technology to actually make different choices. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're seeing a lot of right now is organizations aren't doing the formal format seated dinner in rounds anymore. Instead, they're looking at how do we have a focused program that's just about our mission and is full of love and entertainment and fun and joy and fundraising, and then have a more social, casual environment that costs less to feed people, that it doesn't force people into a tent-top table and creates an environment that's more social and engaging at a lower price point, creating more access for folks. So I think it's an ongoing conversation. I'm excited to see how it continues yeah, to evolve. But I think hybrid kind of opened up new things for us. Well, and I think what's interesting too is about, you know, a lot of times we've talked about getting the right people in the room, yeah. who's in the room and what is that. But to understand that, you actually have to understand who's not in the room. Yeah. And I think that's some of the shift in the conversation as right. well. We're going to take a quick break okay. and when we come back, we're going to continue on in the state of fundraising events. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Welcome back. Thanks. We're here with Sam Swaim talking fundraising events. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, I, I don't never know what the phrase is, in light of the pandemic, I'm never going to say post-pandemic, like, but in light of everything we've learned in the yes. last three years um, and that we stopped gathering for a long time, what are some of the biggest shifts in events now that mm -hmm. you're seeing um, as we sort of try to shift gears back into what gathering and eventing and all of that looks like knowing everything we know. Um, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Both. Both, okay. both. So I think the bad news is that the cost of events have gone up. I think that um, there's a couple of reasons for that. The supply chain issues have created an environment where just overall cost of goods have gone up. So food has gone up. Feeding people is definitely the biggest cost increase. Um, but the other element is that depending on where you live and depending on how many event companies are in your community, <laughs> yes. not all of them recovered. And so there is definitely that that stretch of not everyone is fully staffed or has recovered in the same way or is even providing the same services. So I think we had a good year and a half where every time we went to place an order for something that we just assumed would be available because it always had been in the past. It just wasn't because the company no right. longer existed or because companies weren't fully staffed and they couldn't provide that same level of delivery or service right. or resource. So, um, you know, I think that uh, the other element that's sort of a challenge for folks to think about is that the cost of the venue has gone up, but the competitiveness for the venue has gone up as well. So we're seeing mm -hmm. that there's a lot of organizations that are trying to get on calendars for venues now a year, two years, three years in a row because um, getting access is just more competitive. And so those organizations that waited for three months before their event, they're just finding really limited resource. Right. So more costs, um, limited resources, I think, are kind of the big shift. But there's, there's this really cool thing that's happened in which we kind of had a pause button. And in that pause, we left behind the old expectations of what we've always done. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard organizations say, but we've always done it that way. Our donors are <laughs> expecting that. We've always done it that way. And when you ask why we've always done it that way, there is no like historical recollection of why. It's just, well, that's the expectation. And oftentimes we have found that that way isn't needed, you know, right. like, well, we always serve a surf and turf option. Well, you know, are your guests even interested in that? Let's survey your guests and find out. And it turns out most of them are vegan and they're not even eating the <laughs> surf and turf option, right? Like things have changed and evolved and the pause sort of got us out of the, we've always done it this way. So I think more what we're seeing now is innovation. You know, this incredible sort of ideation space that people are in about, okay, if we don't have to do it that way, what could it be? And so the evolution that we're seeing is that, 
there was this real rush right back to what we've always done before. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I think people were like, oh, that's not quite working the same way. And one of the reasons, I think, is because people change their expectations. And we are spending time differently. We're valuing time with people differently. You know, I don't necessarily want to invest six hours of my day sitting and listening to a lot of talking heads. So please don't, like, hold me captive in doing that. Right. Um, and so I think that the audience attention and time and energy has shifted. What people are expecting at an event has certainly shifted. People definitely want that experience to be better that experience being something that they will remember and walk away feeling like, yeah, that was worth my time. That was worth me getting out of pajamas and going to. So, um, you know, a lot of the surveys that are coming out right now about donor engagement and guest experience is showing that the expectation has gone up and that you have to be able to deliver to it. So I think that there is a uh, a shift that is allowing innovation, a shift of more cost, but also some like new creative solutions that are showing up out there. Can you talk a little bit about how some of those shifts are showing up in fundraising at events specifically? Yeah. Um, uh, less transactional giving is definitely the trend. I cannot tell you how many organizations we've worked with that have just invested hours and hours of time into silent auctions, online auctions, <laughs> live auctions, and they're just not performing the way that they used to. In fact, to a point where they're no longer worth the return on investment, right? right? And the energy and time that goes into them. There's an interesting evolution right now that I'm really keyed into because I just think it's a really cool trend, which is people are separating their transactional giving from their relational giving. So instead of having a live auction or silent auction at their event, they're having an event that's 100% focused on their story, relationships to their donors, and direct ask for support. And then their transactional giving is happening in another campaign, an online auction that is just going out via email. Um, Even consignment auctions are picking up speed, and consignment is a package offering that you can buy at a low dollar and sell for a much higher dollar. It's a really easy way to put together six incredible trips. You aren't committed to paying for them until you've sold them for a higher price point. It's a way to engage those who are very transactional in nature, but really focus your event in on the thing that is most important, which is the relationship piece and the giving directly to mission. And so I think that's the biggest shift that I've seen as far as the tight, how that's affecting fundraising. Yeah. Using staff time where it yields best results. So uh, in light of that money question, where should folks be focusing time and energy and event planning because we've yeah. often it's often been for us like the centerpieces don't matter y'all right do not right. and yet we all because we're human go to the thing because it feels tactical it feels yeah. like it has a beginning middle and end and I feel like oh that's pretty look at that I made impact but in lieu of that and sort of with all of this new sort of how are how are nonprofit development friends setting their calendar and where should they be spending their time. Okay. I want to tell a story about the centerpieces before I answer that question. Right. Because there was this time in the like liminal space of whether or not we were going to be gathering again, where we started really planning and plotting for very stripped down events because we weren't sure that there were going to be more than 30 people there. Right. (laughs) Right. If that, you know, I think the first event we had back in person we planned for 30 people and we had like 13, you know? So I think that the sort of slowly figuring out how to get people back together and what comfort level would look like and what that would be designed as was sort of this very tenuous putting a toe in the water. And with a lot of events in that early phase, choices about design elements were being really stripped down. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. And guess what? No one missed the centerpieces. Not a single person missed the centerpieces. (laughs) And yet the room looked beautiful, Mm -hmm. even if it was 30 people gathered. Something really simple, like a little linen color choice or a little plate of food for them to munch on, like really simple solutions, and no one missed the big centerpiece. So, you know, truly it was just a sort of reflection of that thing we've said forever, which is it's not about the centerpiece. It's about the relationship and the connection. So when you think about where your time and energy is going to go, it should go on the relationship side of the scale. You should be thinking about how do you build lasting partnerships with your corporate sponsors? How are you doing more than just sending them a sponsorship package? But how are you actually saying this is a partnership you are sponsoring because you want benefits and we have a resource that we want to offer with our event and our audience 
How do we collaborate in a way that benefits both of us? That relationship time will grow your sponsorship dollars over time. Relationships with your donors and focusing in on some of those major asks and solicitations, but really ultimately comes down to how do you set up your fundraising appeal, that paddle raise moment in your event for success? That's where your time and energy should go. Are you telling a good story? Are you emotionally connecting people to one person that's been impacted by your mission? Are you setting up that ask to really be a clear call to action for people to raise those paddles and give? And then how are you setting it up that you have gifts lined up in advance that creates trust and momentum and energy so that by the time you are, you know, reaching that $500, $250, $100 level, every paddle is going up in the room. So I think that your energy is best spent on those big relationship pieces And you can tuck away and say, we are no longer going to invest our energy, the hundreds and thousands of hours that go into a silent auction. And then in the bottom line, the silent auction is just not performing the way it used to perform. So I think that's the biggest focus area. Yeah. We've talked a lot about fundraising specifically and sort of the goals and how to achieve them, where to spend money. But I think it's also really important to talk about the secondary goals for events. Yeah. Um, and this can happen because you should always be paying attention to those regardless of whether you're on track for fundraising or not. But sometimes in the midst of planning, you get off track for fundraising and you have to sort of adjust those yeah. goals. And those secondary goals should also have a light shown on them and should be important and elevated. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those might be and how those might look? Yeah, I actually don't know that fundraising should be your primary goal. I think that fundraising is a number that you're benchmarking toward and you're developing a strategy for. But the bigger question is if we're investing energy into bringing people into our mission, what do we want those people to know, to leave with, to take action on? What is the impact Mm -hmm. we can have by bringing these 300 people into a room? Um, That sort of reframe, I think, allows organizations to think bigger about the the impact on the organization and the mission that they can have. And all of a sudden, it peels away those layers of theme that are only for fun and miss mission. And it starts to make very informed decisions to support mission. And so... An example, we had an organization that went through a leadership change. It was a founder organization. The founder was retiring after 35 years. And the board and the committee and the development staff said, our primary goal with this event is we need a really good, powerful send-off because every donor in that room knows, loves, and respects this founder. So we need to take some time to really reflect and celebrate this founder. But we need a really clear handoff that builds trust with our new leadership. And so we need an endorsement from the founder for the new leadership. And we need that new leadership to show up in a profound way as being centered, celebrated, building trust with our donors. Every decision they made was around those two two purposes, and it was how do we send off with love and respect, and how do we welcome in in a way that builds trust, and every decision helped to support that, and their theme was all about new beginnings, their you know design of their event focused prominently both leaders, their program focused both leaders, they put equal weight into those leaders, they both spoke for each other, like spoke on behalf of the other right. person. Um, that it really helped to make that moment a moment that could help set up the organization for the long time, long term. So I think making some choices about what is possible when you bring people together is an important element of not just that fundraising goal. If you're only working toward the fundraising goal, it's very transactional and sterile. But if you're working towards something that's a higher purpose, a mission, designing for impact, that's when you see the like sweet special sauce that comes together and really makes an event magical. The power of the people in the room. Yeah. Whether they're in the room or watching from home on, yeah. their, on their live stream. But yeah, the power of the people in the room. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. And we'll be back with Sam to talk more fundraising events. Thanks. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. 
Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. Welcome back. We're here talking fundraising events with Sam Swaim. I want to ask you, what should folks always do at their event? Always. Always do? Um, always raise money. I, you know, I am <laughs> shocked at when I go to an event and they don't ask me for money. I'm like, I don't understand what is happening here when it is designed as a fundraising event. It's been marketed as a fundraising event. I've been told it's a fundraising event. And then I don't get asked for money. I'm like, I'm so confused. So for your fundraising event, always ask for money. Give a very clear call to action and give a way for people to engage. I think that's the most important always. Um even if it's not as specific as a paddle raise or even if it's not as specific as passing the hat and dropping money in the hat. But there has to be a clear call to action. Um, we actually worked with an organization that was a political action organization, and they were looking to raise money, but they more importantly were looking for an endorsement on their legislative <laughs> agenda, and they wanted people to be really supporting that. And so the call to action was for folks to actually uh, endorse the work that they were doing and to send in endorsements for the voters' pamphlet. And so they gave people a really easy way to do that. There was a really clear call to action. They collected them live in the moment. They also did fundraising. But having a clear call to action and a way for people to tap in and engage is critical. Telling them, go figure it out on your own, go to our website, go talk to a volunteer is the first thing you're going to do to disappoint and lose the like energy and momentum and opportunity you built. So always ask, clear call to action. Great. You may have already answered my next question. Uh, never. But what, what should folks never do at their uh -huh. <laughs> Never send people to the volunteer booth to ask how to be involved. Um, no, I think there's there's a couple of things we tease a lot that people will focus on something that's really unrelated to message. And I think it's really important to have fun and it's really important to engage in the fun. But I think people spend a lot of time and energy and money on things that are so unrelated, you know, like a fire eater appearing in the middle of their event. We attended an event like that once and I was like, what just happened? We were like listening to incredible speeches about mission and the impact it was having. And then all of a sudden there was a fire eater and it wasn't, there was no theme that was related to it. So I think it's really designing around how you're going to move your mission forward and reach that purpose that we talked about earlier. So um, never like th throw in and spend a ton of energy and time and money on something that doesn't actually serve your purpose. Yeah, the fire eater. <laughs> so join me in the fundraising elevator. Let's okay. go up to the penthouse. Talk to me about a uh, fundraising event that was really amazing for you, what okay. you enjoyed about it and why. Um, I more and more am reflecting back on an event that is, it keeps coming up for me recently because it felt like a reunion. I, as a guest, felt seen in the event. As I walked in the door, staff greeted me and knew who I was. And that was like, whoa, I felt so mm -hmm. like special. And it was really clear how to participate. Every, like, I was able to get to my registration area. I was clearly able to get to a bar. I ran into someone that immediately introduced me to someone else. And that immediate connection, I think, made it really powerful. But they didn't misuse my time. They brought me into sort of an environment of grab a drink and take your seat. And then the program began and the program was powerful. It was it was completely 100% about the organization. It was very mission-based. It was powerful speakers about something I cared about. I was there because this is a mission right. I cared about. Right. And the speakers all spoke to the things that resonated with me. They spoke about the mission. They weren't, there weren't fire eaters. <laughs> they were speaking <laughs> about the work in a powerful way that spoke to me. They gave me an opportunity to engage. And honestly, I think that sometimes people think fundraising feels icky. Yeah. And what I want to say is that giving feels really good. So why wouldn't you give me the opportunity to do that? Why wouldn't you want to make people feel good? You actually get an oxytocin release in your system when you give. It's a cortisol bump in your system when you give. It's literally like a quick little high when you give. Why would you want people to feel like that? So I think that that event in particular celebrated the giving. 
They were really intentional, but intentional about gratitude. And then they put on a really great party afterwards. Nice. It was really simple and celebratory, but something that felt like all of this that we just did together can now be celebrated. I love that. Yeah. So let's go down to the boiler room for a minute. Okay. Moment. I'm planning an event. Mm-hmm. I'm 30 days out. Mm-hmm. What should I be spending most of my time on? Okay, so I want to just reframe the 30 days because hopefully you started planning a year ago. Yes, let's okay. say I'm in my final 30 days okay, of planning. Okay, great, excellent. After 12 to 18 months, preferably, planning this great. lovely event. Yes. I think time is something yes. that's undervalued. No, you're right. And you're I think right. that having time allows you to make informed choices, to get yep. buy-in, to have yep. lots of engagement with donors and sponsors and really build those relationships. And I think when people try to plan in a short time frame, they really cut themselves right. short. But when they are now... Now, like nearing the, it's that I'm talking about that sort final of that push. final push, regardless yeah. of sort of timeline. Before there's always that like flurry. Yeah, I think the in the final push, the thing that's most important is that you have really clear elements of your program dialed in. I think that people forget their program. They like spend all this time producing a beautiful event and they forget like a script would actually help your speakers <laughs> say something with meaning. So having all your production elements. So that is. Not just a script, but an AV script. You know, your AV team brings a ton of skill to the table, but they can't be in your head. And so giving them cues, giving them direction and an understanding of like when to bring the lights up and when to play the video. Otherwise, they're just like winging it, listening as hard as they can to try to guess when the video is going to be introduced and what video that might be. So a script, an AV script, really clear um sort of elements delivered to your AV team, I think is sort of your key priority. And then your data, understanding who's attending, that guests feel like expected that we're not greeting them at the door going, I'm sorry, who are you? You're not on the list. But that you have really clear understanding of who your guests are, that their names are spelled correctly, that you have people householded. That like really simple term of householding means I see that you two are together, which I think is a um, thing that gets overlooked a lot. And yet oftentimes it's a thing that feels almost disrespectful if we're it's not. It's offensive to yeah. me if we show up somewhere. And yeah. Is- I mean, I think the same is true too with couples that only one gets recognized for the gift. Correct. Right? Like couples are sitting there next to each other and the person raising the paddle is the person that's like, thanks so much, Sarah. And, you know, Jim is sitting there going, wait, what about me? You know, I think it happens with us all the time that if one of us raises the paddle, one of us gets acknowledged and the the other one's sitting there like, it was from both of us, (laughs) you know? So I think that informed data helps us build better relationships with our audience. Love it. Yeah. So um, I'm well aware we have only started to scratch the surface. It's true. The good news is with you here as a co-host, we will continue to learn from you. Excellent. In coming and coming episodes. I look forward to um, it. How can folks get a hold of you? Well, let's see. They can find me at swamestrategies.com. They can log in and find our consulting services if they just want to like tap a brain for an hour and get some big ideas going about what's possible for their event. Um, or they can buy our book off the bookshelves. So um, lots of different ways to engage. Fantastic. Thanks for being here. Thanks for fielding all of my questions and being in the hot seat. Thanks we for look having forward me in the to hot hearing, seat. Yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you in future episodes. That's our episode today. Thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you soon. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group. And support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.